Guys, welcome to the I Love Seville Show. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us on just a glorious day to be alive. It's been just an absolutely fantastic 14 hours. Um, I just love this town. I love this community. And I love engaging with content on social media of all kinds, of all kinds. A lot we're going to cover on today's program, ladies and gentlemen. Um, a national story very quickly for you. If you're just tuning into the program, I cannot believe I'm saying this. But we have a merger of tremendous proportions at the global level. The PGA Tour has agreed to move to merge with the Saudi Arabia-backed LIV Golf Tour. The PGA Tour and its commissioner for months, if not longer, have said the LIV, the Saudi-backed LIV Golf Tour is nothing but sports washing where the Saudis are trying to use billions of dollars to change the reputation, the history of their country as it applies to mankind and terrible um, acts that this country has been linked to, torturous acts. Literally, the PGA and its commissioner have said this is sports washing. The breaking news today is the PGA Tour, along with the European Tour, have merged with the LIV Golf Tour. This is ridiculous. The DP Tour. I just want you to realize what happened here before we get to the local stories. This is what happened here. Money trumped morals. Money and courtroom battles were positioned ahead of morality. The LIV tour, undoubtedly some of the efforts from this country, Saudi Arabia, was sports washing to try to get the world to look at their country in a different way as an ambassador of golf instead of as a country that's used torturous tactics on more people that we can count. And today, the PGA one of the most esteemed and prestigious professional sports leagues, has basically said, we're going to put our bottom line before our moral compass. And before I get off this topic, I'm very curious about this. Someone who is a lot smarter than me, you the viewer and listener, explain this to me. How is this not some kind of monopoly or antitrust violation. You got three golf tours merging into one. Do United States regulators need to approve this golf merger? Is this merger the definition of a monopoly? If not, why is it not the definition of a monopoly? I genuinely am asking that question. They are eliminating competition by merging. How is this not a monopoly? That's the breaking news from the macro level. Now let's get down to the local level. Judah Wickhauer is the director. We'll welcome Judah Wickhauer on a two-shot. We'll give some props to Castle Hill for being a partner of the show. The 231 Fest, Judah Wickhauer, is this Saturday at Castle Hill, June 10th. Food trucks, live music, cider tastings, beer tastings, wine tastings. Mm -hmm. So many activities for kids to do. I mean, it is just a fantastic time at Castle Hill at the 231 Fest on Saturday in Keswick. J-Dubs, why don't we get the first lower third on screen? Um, 
what we talked about yesterday resonated with viewers and listeners. I heard um, from so many about this. The UVA tracking political ideology at the Board of Visitors, a meeting that was held over the weekend. Two Glenn Youngkin, Governor of Virginia, appointees to the board, legitimately on the record, knowing the meeting was covered by media and there would be a paper trail, discussed in front of President Jim Ryan and other university stakeholders that we, as a university, need to start tracking UVA professors and UVA students, political ideologies, how they vote, and what money they donate to which campaigns. I read this in the Daily Progress over the weekend, and I'm flabbergasted, mouth agape flabbergasted. Razorblade Ellis, the businessman from Richmond, I'll give you his name right now, Douglas Wetmore, the Senior Vice President for Business Development and Centuria Health Solutions. He was appointed to the board by Yunkin last year. They question why UVA is not already doing this, hmm. asking its staff and its student body how they vote and where they donate to. I, after further thought and after hearing from viewers and listeners, people I trust, heavy hitters in this community, want to ask this question. Are approaches or tactics or strategies like this not rooted in a fascist foundation of some kind? I'm not saying this is fascism. I am saying this could lead to elements of fascism. When we go to a public university, public university, gets a boatload of money from the Commonwealth, and we pay to go to this school. In some cases, folks are coming out quarter million dollars more in debt from this school. Are we now expected to reveal some of the most vulnerable tendencies about ourselves, our politics, how we vote, and who we donate to? And if we are expected to do this moving forward, what is next from Razorblade Ellis, and what is next from Douglas Wetmore? Will those gentlemen ask to know UVA professors and UVA students' sexuality, who they sleep with, how much money is in their bank account, what kind of content they watch that could be X-rated, do they read the Bible, do they believe in God, where do we stop? I got so much I want to get off but I'm going to stop, listen to learn from you. All right. I mean, those are some good questions. I, I think you make a pretty massive leap from, uh, from tracking their political ideologies to, you know, tracking their sexual habits and, and whatnot. Uh, could it be, it, I, I, it definitely could be used in, uh, in what you're calling, uh, uh, fascist, um, it could be used in that way. I don't know that it would be. I mean, uh, I believe that uh, I believe that President Ryan agreed with them in some small part that uh, it might be it might be interesting or at least useful to uh, 
to track those things, but I think he had some qualms about the method that it would take, and especially in trying to uh, ask those questions of of uh, potential hires and potential students. Um, you know what? Jim Ryan is the president of a university, right? Yeah. President of a university like UVA, Jim Ryan's compensation package is in the neighborhood of, say, 800000 to a $1 million. In fact, if I Google UVA President Jim Ryan compensation 2023, this is public record. How much do you think Jim Ryan's compensation is for the 2022-2023 academic year? I mean, I couldn't guess. I would put it somewhere in the range of what you said. I said somewhere between 800000 and $1 million is what I guessed. I was exactly right. $851,681 a year. Not only the $851,681 a year, he also has a number of other perks and amenities. I would imagine his health care package is fantastic. He's got the president's house on Cars Hill, which I believe he's living there rent-free. I would imagine this compensation package is including vehicles for he and his spouse, cell phone coverages, tablets, devices. This guy, when it's all said and done, when you're factoring in that he's living rent-free in a multi-million dollar Charlottesville city mansion, he's probably, when you, when you accumulate and you add all this up, making somewhere between $1.2 and $1.5 million in total compensation. Okay. How does somebody make... to $1.5 million and become a president of a university like UVA that is prestigious and has global recognition. What are some of the key personality traits that you need to have to get to this position professionally? Go ahead. You need to be able to play the game of politics. You need to be able to keep your head down. You need to be able to distance yourself from controversy. You need to be able to be essentially vanilla. What was Terry Sullivan's, Teresa Sullivan's, the former president of UVA's fatal flaw? Do you remember? No, go ahead. I know it well. She got in the crosshairs of Helen Dragas, the chairwoman of the Board of Visitors at one time. And Dragas and Sullivan had beef And they had beef because Dragas wanted UVA in its curriculum to go more digital and mobile. Because Dragas felt that if UVA went digital and mobile with its curriculum, it could open its student body to a much larger audience, an audience that's not necessarily tied to Charlottesville and on grounds. Teresa Sullivan, she said, no way, Jose. The college experience is about learning in person. We're not going to prioritize curriculum on screens and curriculum through the internet over in-person learning. And because of that, Helen Dragas and Terry Sullivan had beef. That beef Terry Sullivan had with a very powerful woman, Helen Dragas. I'm going to Google Helen Dragas, D-R-A-G-A-S, Board of Visitors, and see what shows up. What shows up is a Wikipedia page, some articles from the Washington Post, the the Virginia Pilot. You see some options or some projections of her net worth. And then you also get to the Helen Dragas family website. She is a behemoth. You're talking about one of the heaviest hitters 
in the Commonwealth in Helen Dragas. Terry Sullivan, she got embroiled in a controversy and her, she lost her presidency. Name one controversy Jim Ryan has been embroiled in here in Charlottesville, personally. Anyone. Name one controversy Jim Ryan, the president of UVA, has been embroiled in personally here locally. I can't think of one. Can you? No. Can you, viewers and listeners? One of the ways you get to be a president of a university like UVA and earn a compensation package somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.2 to 1.5 a year, this is the peak of academia, ladies and gentlemen, is to be vanilla and to play it down the road. So at this Board of Visitors meeting, when Razorblade Ellis and when um, Douglas Wetmore, the businessman from Richmond, started floating the ideas of tracking ideology and tracking politics and campaign donations, Jim Ryan, he has to play both sides of the fence. Initially, he says he did not disagree that diversity, he did not disagree with some of these ideas, and he saw diversity as including the full spectrum of human attributes, perspectives, identities, backgrounds, and disciplines. Further, Jim Ryan said he is open to suggestions on ways to keep track of political affiliations among UVA community members. He told the board that he has reservations about the legal prohibitions on inquiring about the political views of prospective professors and students. So here you got the president of UVA, who is literally at the Board of Visitors meeting. And he knows his predecessor, Terry Sullivan, was ousted by these people. So he's got to play it right down the middle, vanilla. So when Razorblade Ellis and when Douglas Wetmore say, I want to start tracking ideologies of students and professors, Jim Ryan says, that's not a bad idea. Current students and professors, hmm, maybe we consider it for diversity of thought. He also says at the same time, I'm not sure we can do it for prospective professors and prospective students, though. What did he just do there with that answer? Blew them off. He played it down the middle. He literally stroked the egos of Wetmore and Ellis while also papering the trail on the other side of the aisle with perspective. That's called playing the game. Now, moms and dads watching this program, I don't care if you're a liberal, I don't care if you're a Republican, I don't care if you're a libertarian, I don't care if you're a fascist, a communist, I don't care what your political beliefs are, maybe you believe in the, uh, the political party of, uh, who's a ridiculous political, someone in politics that has ridiculous politics that I haven't mentioned so far? Uh, there's the guy that wears a galosh in his head. Maybe you're, you identify with the politics of the clapping man of the downtown mall, the loud clapping man. Maybe whose politics? I don't care what politics you identify with. If your son or daughter is expected to release his or her ideologies, or worse, if your husband or wives 
are expected to release their ideologies while they're working at UVA or as they're interested at working at UVA, the first thing you have to ask yourself is this. How can this be used against me? How can this be used against me? Now, I'm going to try to do it by category. First, let's go with the conservative that has to show his or her ideology in the application process. If you lean conservative and you have to display or you have to um, tell folks what your ideology is before you get hired or before you apply to UVA or as you're applying to UVA, would you not be concerned that that conservatism would be used against you because UVA is left-leading? Would you be? Possibly. Of course you would. Of course anyone would. Anyone who's conservative-leaning would be hesitant about being authentic of their ideology because the school leans so left. Let's go to the next category. Let's say you're a liberal and you lean um, way left. Would you as a liberal professor or you as a liberal student that's looking at UVA be concerned about telling the the, through the application process or the hiring process that you're liberal? Would you be? As uh, concerned as I would be if I was any political leaning. If I was liberal and I was applying at UVA for student body or as a professor, I would be concerned because the Board of Visitors is straight up saying to Jim Ryan, the president, your university is too left. Get us more right people to get diversity of thought. So could your liberalism literally be used against you in the hiring process? Elements like this have been done before, J-Dubs. They've prioritized hires for many different reasons that are in this category. Mm -hmm. Hires based on race and missions based on race. If admissions and hires can be based on race, can, can admissions and hires be based on ideologies as well? Sure. Right? What group of politics, of ideologies, is immune or Teflon to this crazy mumbo-jumbo. I can't think of a single one. If you're left and you're trying to come here, Razorblade and Douglas Wetmore is going to say, we have too many of them, change it up. If you're right and you're trying to come in here, that might be used against you by the left-leaning hiring and application process folks. This is a cluster duck, quack, 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 of proportions we don't truly realize yet. And the, curio the curious person in me is this. How does Jim Ryan manage the political headwinds that are clearly engulfing Cars Hill? Yunkin is trying to do in a complete about-face with this Board of Visitors. We know that. I was having this conversation yesterday afternoon with a heavy hitter in this town. And I said, did you hear this story? And you know what he said? I, I said this. I said this to this heavy hitter. I'm not going to use his name. I'm not going to use his name. I said, did you see what happened with this? And you know what he said to me? I said, aren't you shocked by this? You know what he said to me? I don't know what he said to you. This is a conversation, right? Um, mean... He said... How can you be shocked that Yunkin appointed conservatives to the board and completely wants to revamp the approach at the university and the Commonwealth that he oversees? 
He said, anyone who didn't see this coming was not reading the tea leaves correctly. And when this guy said it to me just like that yesterday afternoon, I did this. Damn, he's right. Yunkin told us on the campaign trail that he was going to revamp education. Mm-hmm. Yunkin, immediately out of the blocks, first few weeks in office, remember how he just shook up the Commonwealth with um, basically saying, I'm the governor, I'm not going to allow you local municipalities to have any COVID uh, restrictions anymore? Remember that? Yeah. And that was a big to-do, right? Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't very happy with it. I wasn't happy with uh, <clears throat> with him continuing in uh, a long line of mandates. Yunkin also looking to change um, the moniker DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Yunkin wants that acronym, DEI, to now be diversity, opportunity, and inclusion. You got a governor who ran on a platform of completely revolutionizing education in the Commonwealth. You got a governor who utilized Terry McAuliffe's snafus of telling parents they have no role in their kids' education in public schools. Yunkin pounced on that. McAuliffe did it once, twice, and he did it three times, saying parents should have no roles in their kids' education. I heard McAuliffe say that, and I knew that he wasn't going to get my vote because I'm actively going to be involved in my kids' education. Mm -hmm. I'm my kids' parent. My wife right now is getting ready for an activity for the school our oldest son is going to go to next year. She is actively involved in his education because she loves him. Yunkin took that one, two, and three issue mistake from McCullough and wrote it to the, White, wrote it to the governor's mansion. Yeah. He may write that to the White House. Time will tell. I, I, did everyone just see that Christie from Jersey announced that he's going after the GOP nomination and the uh, next presidential race? Did any, everyone else see that? Side note. So before I go on to the next topic, you have a governor who told us he was going to revolutionize education in this commonwealth. He's taking the moniker diversity, equity, and inclusion and saying that's not what it is anymore. It's diversity, opportunity, and inclusion. He changed the brand. Now he's putting Board of Visitors members on there that match his conservative ideology, way right-leaning. One of these guys got in his car and rode from Georgia across multi-state lines to try to razor blade a protest sign off a door on the lawn at UVA. That right there is a microcosm of who we're dealing with. Getting in your car, driving hundreds of miles with a razor blade in your pocket so you can chop off a student's protest sign on their door on the lawn. That's razor blade. Moms and dads of this program, the concerns I have in 2023 are real. I'm about to relay to you a teacher, former in Albemarle County Public Schools, who legitimately compared the Pledge of Allegiance to indoctrination. This teacher, Sarah K. Harris, former teacher 
is a committee member on the Albemarle County Public School Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. A former teacher of ACPS who is in charge of leading the diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts within Albemarle County Public Schools, a school system that spends roughly $17,000 or $18,000 a year educating our students, legitimately is posting on Twitter that the Pledge of Allegiance is indoctrination. That's 2023 for you. You got the UVA Board of Visitors, two people on it, literally asking professors and students to have their politics and their campaign donations be documented in an Excel spreadsheet so the Board of Visitors can do an analytical analysis on diversity, politics, and perspective. And then at the local level, the real local level, you got a committee member for ACPS that puts on, the, on, on Twitter, did you do the screenshot? Can you put up the screenshot so everyone can see it? Let's put it back up again so people don't think I'm making this up. Let us know when that screenshot's on screen. Tell me there when it it's up there. It's on screen? Yep. Look, look at the screen. The, I responded to her. I was the only one that had... I was the only one who responded to her that said, how is the Pledge of Allegiance indoctrination? Isn't that patriotism? Do you want to offer any perspective on, on that? I mean, it's just... It's crazy. I, I, I feel like she was being more... Uh, she was being more inflammatory than than serious, but um, but, but how? Why? How do you? How can you tell you have, that? You'd have to ask her. How? How? So so your take is she's doing this for a hyperbolic purposes. I. You just had me put the screenshot up. She literally says after your question, "I didn't say it was. Just asked a question." But isn't that the safe answer after someone calls them out on a talk show yesterday? Yeah, that's making assumptions. Okay, well, here's the assumption I'm making. If you're a former teacher of Almore County Public Schools and a committee member of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion ACPS Committee, you should not leave it up to interpretation on your stance of the Pledge of Allegiance. Fair enough. Okay. Her name, her name is Sarah Harris. Do not leave it up to interpretation, the Pledge of Allegiance, and indoctrination. You're a leader within ACPS, literally on the committee that's leading DEI efforts. Parents, if that doesn't scare the H-E double hockey sticks out of you, I don't know what does. Comets coming in fast and furious today. Neil Williamson, President Free Enterprise Forum. Jim Ryan has significantly changed the university's position and strategy regarding their participation in affordable housing. Not in a controversial way, but in a new coordinated strategy. 100%. 100%. Jim Ryan's sidestepped any single possible controversy so far. Teresa Sullivan could not do that. John Castine, the president, when I was at school at UVA, he was able to do that. How long was Castine the president? Like three decades? Like, I, I don't know the exact number, but I'm, I'm quite confident that John Castine was the president of UVA for decades. Let me see if I can get you the exact number. Could you find that for me, if you could, J-Dubs? Yeah. John Castine, how long he served as president of the University of Virginia? That would be amazing if you could, please, sir. He was the president when I was in school there. 
I'm going to watch closely as Jim Ryan threads the needle on Yunkin appointing super right people to the board who are now asking Thomas Jefferson's university, the number one public university in the Commonwealth, and one of the number one public universities in the world, to track their students' ideologies and their professors' ideologies and their campaign donations. These kind of strategies have elements of fascism. And that scares the bejeebus out of me. Neil, thank you for the comment. Got more comments coming in. Thank you for this comment. Uh, Bill McChesney, Dragas was sent after Sullivan. Dragas was put forward because she was a female going after a female. Yes and no, um, Bill. I have uh, intimate knowledge of what happened with Dragas and Teresa Sullivan. That was literally when I was working in the newsroom at The Progress, and we'd have meetings in this newsroom talking about what we could and could not report. He says this smacks of Cold War Soviet communism. Kelly Jackson watching the program. She says, why in the world would the school need to know this? I have no idea. I have no idea why the school would need to know this. Razorblade Ellis says, we deserve to know this because we want people on both sides of the fence. Basically, he's saying, I want 50% of the student body to be conservative and 50% of the student body to be right, to be liberal. Because he says, if that's the case, then we have diversity of thought. But Kelly, I have no idea. Kelly, I mentioned this live on air. Oh. Vanessa Parkhill in Earliesville, the federal government has had Equal Employment Opportunity Commission for over 30 years. It's good to have a place to go if you'd like to challenge how you've been treated with relation to employment. Having every business, university, state, and local government spending money on these positions is probably overkill. Check into what the DEIT members are paid compared to teachers and police. Is this the best use of our local tax dollars? The, there's new positions, and, and I, I think I may have learned this position from Alex like months ago on this talk show, like there's many new positions at like big companies where it's like DEI hires. Like they're legitimately making efforts. Comp for example, Willow Tree, who was purchased for over a billion dollars by a Canadian company, one of their key hires was Kelly Palmer, who's a neighbor of mine in the neighborhood I live in, and her role at Willow Tree is legitimately D DEI. In fact, I, I can look, I'll, I'll go to her LinkedIn, to get the exact title of the uh, of her position. All right, I'm going to her LinkedIn. You got Castine's term there, J Dubs? Yeah. How long for Johnny Castine? Twenty years. Twenty years, two decades. Johnny Castine. She's the chief employee experience officer. A um, position very much based in DEI efforts. Is that the moniker of 2023? Here, the, here, here, 2020 was known for pandemic. 2021 was known for pivot. Remember the word became so cliche? Everyone said pivot. 2021 was known for pivot. 2022 was known for what? What was the brand of 2022? 
2022 was last year maybe known as inflation, supply chain, right? Labor shortage, inflation, supply chain, labor shortage. 2022. 2023 is known for what? Jerome Powell, rising rates, and DEI. Each year has a theme. This theme very much DEI. Comments are coming in faster than I can keep up with right now. Janice Boyce Trevilian says, just as governors have before and will after, the left-leading governors got, got it to where it is now. It'll change when the administration changes. That's true. John um, Blair, watching this program, educated me on this. John, John, um, the governor of Virginia, help me and remind me of this, of what you educated me. Does the governor of Virginia get to turn over the Board of Visitors completely? I think it's X amount of, didn't you educate me in a previous comment, if memory serves? It's X amount of appointees per year, and Yunkin can turn it over completely. Is that right, John? Will you help me there, John? Or any viewer and listener? That's why I love you guys. We're stronger as a team doing this show together where we crowdsource information as a team. Yunkin, can he completely remake the board, JB? You taught me that in a previous post. Christian Howe, welcome to the show. Kevin Yancey, if society had ad adhered to the ideology we supposedly adhere to, the need for affirmative action or racial quotas would would not have had to be implemented. That's from Waynesboro. We got the local newspaper watching the show. Albert Graves is watching the program. I saw that, Albert Graves. LIV Golf Tour merges with the PGA. I got one question. How is this not a monopoly? And how is this not antitrust? And how are not U.S. regulators asking how three golf tours can merge into one, creating a monopoly of tremendous proportions? Explain that to me. Sports. Is it because it's sports? Is that why? So sports cannot be a monopoly? Is that why? Because, because basically this is what's happened with the LIV, the PGA, and the European Golf Tour merging. You know what this is? This is Metaverse merging with TikTok merging with Apple. That's what's happening right now. Meta is merging with TikTok and merging with Apple. That's what's happening in the golfing world. How is that not against a monopoly, antitrust, U.S. regulators? How are they not involved with this? Legitimately, golfers will have less opportunity to pursue professional opportunities because there won't be as many out there. We're going from three tours and three times the opportunities to one. How is that not a monopoly? Someone help me understand that. The power is now controlled by a few in golf. Nora Gaffney says, I urge you to look up as much history as you can on the Pledge of Allegiance. This is not a new issue by any means. I am not sure, um, she says, why anyone would be shocked. Maybe it's just because I've been around forever. Explain that to me, Nora. I, I'm proud to do the Pledge of Allegiance. Maybe, Alex, we get you on the show? You want to come on anytime? Yeah, come on. Alex Erpe's in the studio. Ladies and gentlemen, fresh from his honeymoon, bronze from time in, in Italy. Looks, uh, looks comfortable, looks relaxed. I'm surprised he came back. He's got a beautiful bride. So he, he's the CEO of a finance company that's crushing it. The Antonio Banderas of finance, the host of Today y Manana. He's got a gorgeous better half. He somehow came back to Charlottesville from the boot. Why'd you come back? It was hard. <laughs> Why'd coming you come back? back? Coming back was hard. How long did you spend in the boot? 
Uh, well, so it was about a week in Italy. Okay. And then half a week in Switzerland and half a week in Germany. Living the dream, j Dog. It was very nice. Yeah? Which was the yeah. best? Ooh. They each have their things. I mean, Italy, you, it's hard to top the food in Italy because it's so good, so fresh. And that's up your alley, too. That and kind it's of, right up my alley. Yeah. Well, and so affordable. Oh, I put mean, it in perspective. So stunning. I mean, I, I, I kid you not, I, you sit there in the United States, here in Charlottesville, you did a charcuterie board. And you're probably paying anywhere between 30 to 40 bucks for this thing. And you did a little bit of everything, like, you know, a slice of prosciutto, two slices of salami. We order this lunch like 15 euros, which at, it's almost one-to-one now. So, I mean, even if you get cheated a little on, let's say you get cheated on the credit card exchange, maybe 15 euros is $18, right? I mean, I couldn't even finish this thing, and I can eat. Oh, you can eat. A lot. Yeah. I, mean, I was just loaded with sal- uh, prosciutto, salami, tomatoes, the freshest yogurt, all these wonderful things. It's just amazing how much the quality of food is just so high there. So, so Italy, more affordable than Charlottesville? I was not surprised. Even not even t- food wise. How about hotel? Food wise, hotel. Tough to say because you splurge on. Did hotel. you go? Did you ball out? Yeah, you balled I splurge out. On, yeah. I want the, the best views. You know, you see that we had a beautiful. You go hotel. penthouse. So and not penthouse. I like local hotels. Okay. So I like hotels actually run by people that live there. So I use guidebooks to find those. I don't really like the big, the big chains because uh-huh. they're usually further away from the city center. And for breakfast, they're giving you like American Continental, you know, eggs, bacon. I like the ones where my breakfast is like Italian cornettos, prosciutto, the salami, Italian cheeses, local honey. So they have these nice, beautiful spreads when you do the ones that are actually run by Italians. They're all really nice. They have great views because they're right in the center. I mean, we stayed from my hotel room. You could see the Duomo in Florence. I mean, literally, you're looking at it, and it's right across the street. And so it's nice and central. So I, I tend to do that. I tend to really like locally owned hotels. The same thing in Switzerland. Right? We just found one that was locally owned in Lucerne. Very beautiful, very nice. Uh, the food there is also good. I mean, if you're meat and potatoes, then you can't lose in Switzerland and Germany because it's good. He's back, and, and him being back is to our advantage here on this network because he has got a big, beautiful brain. My friend, you came back at a crazy time, per I usual. Um, I have so much I want to cover with you. I want to talk about the golf merger. I want to talk mm-hmm. about the Board of Visitors. I want to talk about media in this area. I want to ask the question, what is the role of Charlottesville Tomorrow, the nonprofit in this community? Mm-hmm. Charlottesville Tomorrow is pursuing a diversity, equity, and inclusion mission with its content creation. When Brian Wheeler and Sean Tubbs were there, it was much more hard news, mm-hmm. zoning, development, business, mm-hmm. and government. Charlottesville Tomorrow pursuing that DEI mission because there's a lot of nonprofit dollars in that oh, space. Yes, very much so. In that space. So a lot where we want to cover. You went to UVA as well. Mm-hmm. BOV tracking your politics and your donations. Yeah, I'm not I'm particularly with students. I'm not I'm not super comfortable with that notion. That sounds like I, I, I see where my suspicion is given the incoming board of visitors people, I see where they're going with this, which is probably the notion that for all we talked about diversity in in admissions in colleges, the way that diversity of thought in terms of where professors' politics use is pretty much 90 to 10. So 9 to 1 is going to be left-leaning. So they're probably trying to figure out 
how to change that and get a little more balance in terms of what viewpoint a student will be will encounter. My issue is I'm always like, you know, maybe since you come from the human background, you're always like, okay, how can this be then wielded against me in the future? And you're just going to sit there and say, someone's going to figure out a way to say, ah, you got the wrong politics, Ted, you know, not a good idea. And you know what, for anyone who thinks, well, then, you know, we're in charge now, well, sooner or later the tables turn, and you're really not going to want, I mean, if, you, if these Board of Visitors guys, they're not going to want a day when conservative students then have to sit there and say, dang, am I being tracked? You know, am I going to get in trouble because I voted the wrong way or I donated to the wrong campaign? So for, it just seems the kind of thing like, I think there's enough survey data out there to get an idea of where the political inclinations of professors may lie without trying to figure out, without actually tracking the actual donations of people. If you could call up, excellent commentary right there, if you could call up the blog post from, uh, is it Beacons or Bacon's Rebellion, the blog post you sent me yesterday? There's a paragraph in there from the Jefferson Council that talks about data. If memory serves correct, it was 20 to 1 UVA professors voting for Biden over Trump in the last election. Uh, There's a 10 to 1 statistic that I want to get out there Mm -hmm. as well. This really puts in perspective how left UVA is. J-Dub, see if you can find that if you can. Carly Wagner says, I remember John Blair saying that each governor can appoint the full BOV except for the student rep. So John, if you're watching, you are educating other viewers and listeners on this program, JB. That's how much we love you. So probably went over the course of over the, the four-year four years. Yeah. X he, amount of people. He's standard, but he's in governor for four years. Okay. Yeah. So you bleed orange or blue. Um, Nicholas went to UVA? Yep. And so did Michael. Michael oh. went to UVA. You're, you're, you and your two brothers did. This is the foundation of one of the best financial firms in the world, Emergent Financial Services, the ERP brothers. What would be the conversation over the dinner table at the Irpy household? How would Mrs. Irpy respond to this? Oh, to this? I, just, I, I think that we kind of all probably share this perspective. I mean, I think we saw the university particularly becoming... Let's put it this way. When I went there, you could pretty much... This was 2014, so even not that long ago. I graduated. You could pretty much go through all your classes, and even though you kind of knew in private conversation that you know your, your professors might lean left... It didn't really come up in the course of you to go through a whole semester and, and explore different viewpoints. You could explore even in literature different writers of different persuasions. I know by the time Michael left, that was a lot less the case. There was, there when did he was, graduate? So he graduated 2018, Okay, I believe. So by 2018, um, you could pretty much not escape a semester without an invitation from your professor that if you didn't believe a certain way, you were a bad person. And this would come through in criteria. This would come through in expectations. And so I, I, can, I sympathize with the desire to change that a little bit and have people be exposed. I think it's always good to be exposed to different thoughts. You know, we talk about diversity a lot, and I'm big on it, but it needs to come with thought, too. Because if, you, if everybody, if, if I got 10 people in a room, we all look different, but we all think exactly the same, we're not going to come up with very good ideas because there's no one there to say, well, hey, wait a second. What about this idea, right? So you need to have that, and I sympathize with that, but I think all of us would probably bristle at the notion of tracking things because there's just there's so many ways that that can go wrong. Hey Amen, brother. I'll throw this to you. We're solutions-oriented people. What's the solution to help create more diversity of thought at UVA 
except for tracking ideologies and campaign donations. I think that is, mm. is, is rooted in fascist, fascist tendencies, but what are solutions to do it? Besides I, those. I think that starts with culture. You have to – I think the university needs to take a nice, strong track of saying, you know what? We value and appreciate thought from different perspectives. And you're not a bad person if you happen to have a long conservative background or if you have graduated from these schools that maybe are known – I mean, Chicago Economics Department, known to be more right-leaning. Um, you know what I mean? You, so you – part of it also goes into – you know, sometimes it's looking at your criteria because I'll bet you – I'll bet you there's criteria that say that at UVA when they do hiring that say, well, we want to make sure we have diversity of background. So why not include thought in that? You know what I mean? We're all willing, and I think all of us are rightly willing to say, well, you know, I want to make sure that people from a Latino background like mine are included. I want to make sure that people from an African-American background are included. But then when it comes to our politics, we're like, oh, no, I only want people who think the way I do. Right? So, and sometimes you've got to be willing to say you know, not to, to, to uh, like, um, not to switch it to like something familiar, but uh, Saint John Paul II, Pope of the Catholic Church, he was very well known for making people cardinals whom he did not agree with, in terms of just his religious traditionalist background, right? But he knew that you need he needed them around him, and I feel like in today's world, too often we don't do that. We're like, oh man, no. If this guy doesn't agree with me, I don't even want to hire that person. And that's, I think, an easier blind spot. Because I think we've reached the point where a lot of universities like UVA are very much focused on making sure that their uh, professors and their student body look a certain way. But are we, do we actually care if they all think like groupthink? Or are we kind of happy with that? Because as long as it's my groupthink. So I think that that's a kind of a way to start. You have to, it, it goes down to what kind of culture, and do I make it clear in the way I speak that I value your opinion even if it's not the same as mine? Um, Judah, that was well said. I think you have, this guy's fantastic. J-Dubs, I think you have a statistic for us um, yep. that highlights the ideology of the university. Yeah, I've got the uh, quote. There it is. Okay, Can, and you want to just read it for the folks that are in, in their car and don't see the screen? Yeah. Thank you, thank you. The Jefferson Council has published data showing that UVA employees have donated to Democrats over Republicans in recent years by ratios of 10 to 1 to 20 to 1 in presidential elections. Yeah. That's pretty That's substantial. That's pretty substantial. That's pretty substantial. Um, one of the ideas I floated yesterday, if we want diversity of thought and we know the university is leading way left, could there be a curriculum that's created, like a curriculum track, that could be um, something that complements this left-leaning in some way that offers more thought? I mean, and you know more about this than I do. Maybe it's like a, a government track, a politics track, mm -hmm. some kind of foreign affairs track. Well, open up a breadth to, to schools that maybe traditionally were more. In other words, the Austrian learning more about Austrian school of economics. That's doing. That's generally a libertarian. So Austrian school of economics generally a more libertarian view, laissez-faire of how economics should be run. You could probably go through the economics department at UVA and never encounter except in passing that thought. So you can, you can try to implement that, maybe bring in a couple th you know, thinkers into the curriculum to do that. I'm sure you can do the same with literature. There's a number of literary minds. I think Graham Greene comes to mind. Uh, Jorge Luis Borges comes to mind. There are thinkers that have sort of deviated from, because let's face it, most of the 20th century, 
the great list of writers. I mean, your Nobel Prize winning list is to neither have communist, outright communist sympathies like Garcia Marquez, who was still a great writer despite that, or they're going to be left-leaning. But you can find writers who almost won Nobel Prizes, who are well-regarded, who had different ways of thinking, who were against Perón in Argentina and so forth. So I think it's just a matter sometimes also, like you said, of expanding your breadth of saying, you know, why don't I read this person that... Maybe their politics were not the same as mine, but they might have something to teach me. Janice says, why, Alex, can't they teach the material without teaching politics? Oh, I think, I, I think that's the way I think that's the way to do it. But you have to go up of politics. I think sometimes we reduce, we reduce politics to just thinking of our current situation and left-right. I'm thinking one step higher. In other words, there have been many schools of thought in history. And, it, and, and they can be combined in different ways into modern politics. I mean, today's, le- today's red and blue do not reflect the red and blue of 1910. Well said. Right? But do you even are, recognize today's red and blue? From, from, 19, from the early 1900s now, it's from there. Do you... Here's a tough question. This is a tough question. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you know now, would you have done two years at UVA again? That's the question. Because you probably probably could have gone anywhere you want, knowing you. Because you Mm -hmm. went PBCC first two. You probably finished, what, 4-0, knowing you? Yeah. Yeah, you had a 4-0. So you probably could have gone anywhere you wanted, right? Yeah. Especially in the Commonwealth. In today's environment, I'd think a little more. You would have thought I would have thought twice. Okay. Only because there were some things. Like, I... um, I would help out and uh, write articles. Being Cuban, you saw a lot of, like, Che... Guevara t-shirts and so as a Cuban I would write articles for like news, uh, like a daily newspaper there the not, it wasn't daily? Daily. not the Tavalier Daily it was um, oh I forget the name of it but it was kind of offbeat it was like it's own little student group okay. that did it it wasn't like an official one of the big ones that have the daily publications it was like a weekly thing um, about you know what a Cuban thinks of Che I'm not sure I'd be comfortable doing that and if I had gone to UVA a few years later. I, I, I feel like there would have been a good chance that I would have received You would have been Scarlet blowback. Letter. You would have Scarlet, yeah, Scarlet I would have received blowback yeah. for saying that you should not be wearing a Che t-shirt. But in 2014, a lot of people would come up to me because I would talk about it and say, yeah, I'm interested in learning more about that because I always thought he was a good guy, but can you tell me the Cuban perspective? I'm not sure I would get that today. Patricia Irby, welcome to the program. Thank you kindly for watching. The show is literally in fuego right now. Stacy Baker Patty on the show as we speak. I'm going to throw this to Alex Irby. Um, talk to me about the golf merger. Just give me a take on that. So that's a, that's a shocking one. I was stunned when I read it this morning because for, remember for the last year, PGA Tour has basically been suing LIV. They're suing each other. They're, they've been suing each other. Yeah. There's been a lot of animosity with the players and PGA. So based on the players that, that went to LIV saying that PGA is a monopoly, players at PGA saying that the LIV players basically sold out to the Saudi Arabians, because LIV is funded by the Saudi Arabia Sovereign Wealth Fund. That's right. Essentially. So it's the oil sovereign wealth fund that funds this thing. It, I mean, from the outside, it's hard not to feel that this looks like the PGA just got paid off, because if you read the fine details... Um, this new merged entity will receive an influx of cash from the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund, an additional equity investment from the Saudi Wealth Fund. So it's hard not to feel that basically PGA said, we're losing players, we're losing top players to this other golf tournament. We're the ones banning, trying to ban them from our own. 
and now the Saudis are offering us an additional investment to merge, and and they took the uh, they took the money and and decided to merge. But other, I can't see anything else because this is a complete 180 from PGA. They went from saying you can't ally yourself to the Saudis to saying we're going to merge with the Saudi funded LIV off. Why I mean, is this not a monopoly? Purely because it's sports. Oh, oh purely because it's sports. Sports, sports. have long held. Basically, exclusions. If every sports league, Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, they are allowed to have. Like, you can't just make a new uh, NFL team and have it play the Kansas City Chiefs and the New York Giants. That you'll, they won't let you do that. When you're a player in any one of these sports, right? When you get drafted in baseball. You can't say, ah, I don't want to play for the team that drafted me. I'm going to go play for this other team because they're going to pay me more. It doesn't work. You have to play a certain number of years for the team that drafted you. So they're all essentially monopolies. monopolies. But they've long held particular exclusions, I suspect historically, based on how long they've been around and because it's sports. Um, Jenny Hu on Twitter. Listen to this one. J-Dubs, jump in here. Anytime you want people value your opinion, anything you want, give me a sign. Show is yours. Ginny Hu on Twitter. This is one of the main reasons I stopped teaching history at the college level. I was constantly scrutinized by colleagues. It was not worth sticking around for tenure. Mm. Ginny Hu literally yeah. put that. Thank you, Ginny, for that. I appreciate that, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through yeah, that. Ginny Hu on Twitter. Um, Anything you want to throw on this before we go to the next one? Anything at all shows yours? We can go anywhere you want. You're good? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. <clears throat> next topic I want to throw is media. We've been talking media. Mm-hmm. There was an announcement made over the weekend that UVA, uh, excuse me, that Daily Progress reporter, reporter Cindy Schuler has quit. Um, the entire- I got an email from them. They're down to, they were trying to get me to come back. They're down to like three days a week or something? The newspaper is now newspaper. only being printed three days a week. Three days a week, wow. The newspaper is being delivered by the United States Post Office mm, and not delivery not drivers sure. anymore. Having something that delivers mail late all the time, delivering today's news seems like a very terrible idea, but I'll leave that for another show, okay? <laughs> Literally, the mail who can't get the mail to you on time is going to be trusted with delivering Monday's news on Tuesday morning. How's that going to work? Okay. Uh, Sydney Schuler quits. The web traffic is down. The paywall is too expensive. The print is now three days a week. They sold their real estate, and the entire city desk, copy desk, has turned over in, in, in less than a year. Oof. So here's the question I have. We know the headwinds that the Daily Progress mm-hmm. has. Um, I don't see potentially this newspaper sustaining long term. I want to talk about the nonprofit Charlottesville tomorrow, however, mm-hmm. if you want to put that lower third up. And I'm going to ask the community this question. What is the role of Charlottesville tomorrow now, and is it the right role, or should it change? Are you familiar with this publication? Yeah, yep, I am. I am. Show us yours. That's a, that's a tough one, because, I mean, does Charlottesville tomorrow, I'm going to be honest, I never would read it for, like, breaking news, the kind of things that you would have read an old newspaper for, like the traditional newspaper, like Daily Progress. Like, the reason we used to get Daily Progress at our office was to see what had happened you in to the learn. local community yeah. yesterday or the day before, essentially. And the reason we kind of dropped it is because it ended up being mostly national news at a certain point. There wasn't much local news. So we said, well, if I want national news, I can turn on the television. And so, but I never really read Charlottesville Tomorrow. I, I kind of appreciated that it was a little more long form, 
Uh, when I did check it out, it was news of a different kind. It wasn't trying to give you the newest, the most recent bit of news, but a certain angle on news, a certain way to look at things. So it, it's difficult to say because maybe their role is that because no one can really fulfill, no newspaper at this point in today's, the way we are as a society today, can actually succeed giving you like local news in a timely fashion because they'll always be beat by television or by social media at this point. I mean, I did, yeah. I did, I would get my news from you at I love Seville like two days before I'd even see it on television. Holly, what's the the message Holly Foster sent us from Richmond? She's watching the show in the Richmond area, Judah. Uh, I don't remember the exact words, but it was basically along the lines of uh, you know it's it's great getting the news from you guys because uh, because I'm just not getting it uh, on a on a consistent basis. From uh, the Richmond Times Dispatch, yeah. which is arguably the most capitalized newspaper in yeah. the Commonwealth. I'm not including the Washington Post in there. Someone tell me a more capitalized newspaper than Richmond Times Dispatch. And here you have a reader basically saying she's getting the news from us because it's coming days later in the TD. Yeah. So I got this question The role of Charlottesville tomorrow. This is a nonprofit. Um, Brian Wheeler, friend of the program, launched Charlottesville tomorrow. Um, I would imagine it was a decade, a decade plus ago. If you can maybe see when Charlottesville Tomorrow was launched year-wise. Um, I think Brian Wheeler previously worked for SNL. A lot of people remember the name Brian Wheeler. He was the communications director with Charlottesville City. He since quit in the Dr. Rashal Brackney brouhaha when a lot of people pieced out he was one of them. But Brian Wheeler hired a guy who from time to time is on this network in Sean Tubbs. And when Brian and Sean Tubbs were covering, were, were uh, writing for Charlottesville Tomorrow, managing that brand, this platform was like an epicenter for zoning and for mm, development. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in-depth. Business. Kind of hard-hitting stuff. Hard-hitting, in-depth journalism. And it was coveted by readers because it helped fill the gaps that the progress was leaving open. Mm-hmm. Of late, and it's, the change started during Giles Morris's tenure. Giles Morris was the former managing editor of Charlottesville Tomorrow. He has since resigned. Giles Morris took Charlottesville Tomorrow from how Brian Wheeler and Sean Tubbs had it set up, zoning, development, hard mm-hmm. news, to more diversity, equity, and inclusion. Giles so Morris like did. pieces about things that are going, like particular types of businesses. and Like, let me, let me see if I can... I'll, I'll I, will, I will say the last six months, obviously, I haven't uh, kept up as much of my... <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take it a step further. I have not legitimately read the Charlottesville Tomorrow nonprofit platform since Giles took the, the editorial coverage in this direction. Mm. I do not check Charlottesville Tomorrow to support to, to, for news for this show. I rarely, if ever, read links. If you look at their, um, if you look at their website, I'm on it right now, um, you see the mission is 100% DEI. And I said yesterday, and a number of viewers and listeners responded favorably to this, Charlottesville Tomorrow is a nonprofit, mm-hmm. so it's constantly looking for fundraising dollars to keep its lights oh, on. Oh, that's where the fundraising dollars are now. And I, right I see now, it in, grant, in grants and so forth. There I mean, it I is. Used to be, I used to be in this space. Yeah. Nonprofit space. I still am tied up with Ford Adelante. That's where the dollars that's are. The, there it is. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Explain. Oh, oh, it's the, the low-hanging fruit. Oh, it's, it's, def- it's absolutely the low-hanging fruit. You, there, are, there are grants out there that that's the express purpose of the grant and more more and more any grant will expect you to have a either a 
DEI mission or um, to basically have some kind of DEI statement, have how it's incorporated into whatever the mission of your organization is. So that's that's a an expectation, even in grants, if they're not, if the even if the grant isn't explicitly written. In other words, if the grant isn't to help you achieve DEI, the grant will expect you to have some kind of statement to that effect. So here's what's happening. Great intel from him. I, I, I'm glad you offered that perspective. I actually forgot about that piece of your, you know, your your uh, very robust professional background. This is low hanging fruit. It's a nonprofit that is desperate for money to keep its lights on and to keep its staff employed. So the easiest way to get the low hanging fruit is to pivot the model, there's that word again, to pivot the model to pursue a DEI mission as opposed to a zoning development business mission. When you were covering land use and zoning and development, Sean Tubbs and Brian Wheeler, the low-hanging fundraising fruit was not there. It was a desert. So they relied on private donations from heavy hitters in Central Virginia. Mm -hmm. Schultz Tomorrow's pivoted that model and is now relying on nonprofit donations from entities outside this area. And because of that, it's having to cater its content to the people that are funding the nonprofit. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And as a result, we lost a hard news source. And now it's more... I mean, featurey. I yeah, would say. I was about to say that's, that's, what, that's what I think usually happens. You, you get a lot more features, stories about look what this person is doing. Yeah, look what this great person. And it's not that they're not doing great things. I mean, it's nice, but it's not the a, type of a, stuff that holds yeah. people accountable. Yeah, and you in know? a dearth. Well, and in, in a dearth of an environment where there are other options there for that hard hitting, then now there's nothing left. I there mean, it is, because that's what. That's what an older, that's what a daily progress of 50 years ago would have been doing. That exact, he, he's a smart guy. So here's the conundrum. This is the conundrum we're in. Our daily paper has got so many headwinds that I don't think this is a sustainable model long term. They're literally operating the newsroom out of a coat closet in a living room in Hogwaller. Okay? The entire city desk turned over in less than a year. That's right. They are cutting print down to three days a week, and the print that is delivered is going to come days later from the mail. How many advertisers are going to put their brand in a newspaper that has content about Tuesday morning when readers won't see that content until Thursday or Friday? Those readers are going to be like, this is all dated. I ain't going to read this. I'll use this as the bottom of the hamster cage to let... Chewy the hamster pee and poop on it. Yeah. I won't read it. Well, certain segments will become functionally useless. I, I, there it is. I'm pretty sure there was a finance page. There was. I mean, but the I, wouldn't bother, I wouldn't bother checking the finance page there if it, it came two days later. I mean, I might still go to the sports or the features. I mean, not for stores. The sports would be like, you know, to see if there was any columns or something. Or, or the feature page, but the finance page would be functionally useless. Probably the front page two days later is... Is sports functionally useless when we can get it all online? I don't like... The only thing I used to read was commentary. So sports commentary. Like was, a Radcliffe. Yeah, but they, gave, but they but they fired him. I won, and, and now they don't have it. That's one of the reasons I don't still get yeah. to Yeah, Booty got fired. Paper. He's my first boss. Yeah. Got fired. I mean, it's the 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 opportunity now for somebody in media in 2023 in, in Charlottesville and Central Virginia is a tangible and palpable opportunity. It's a tangible and palpable opportunity. Um, I want a lot of stuff I want to throw to you. 
and, and I want to highlight the fantastic contest that today Minana is doing. And I encourage everyone to get involved and to like and to engage with this contest. He'll give us the details. I want to show um, that house on – no, first I want to talk about the Pledge of Allegiance. The house on 5th Street we may have to save for tomorrow because I want to give Alex ample time to talk about the project that he and Nicholas are doing. Nicholas, this is a great idea, buddy. And I see you're watching, Nicholas. Um, Pledge of Allegiance indoctrination. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised by that sentiment. I mean, look, the, the, if, you, if you want to be super technical and go in the dictionary and find the meaning of the word indoctrination, you probably, it's probably like something like teaching or inculcating a certain set of values or something. But I feel like the Pledge of Allegiance is the kind of, usually when, we don't, when people talk about indoctrination as a bad thing, it's, we're saying we don't want our teachers in inculcating one side, one political side to our kids or teaching them things that we might perceive to be false. I'm not sure like the Pledge of Allegiance falls under that. That seems to be the kind of value like I like, I like my country, I want to make it a better place. The flag is, is, you know, is the, is the symbol of my country. I don't know. That's what I grew up doing every single day in, every single in day. public school in California. Proud. In California. I was doing this every day yeah. in public school. And it, I was it, proud to do it. Yeah, I, was, I, I thought it was really neat. We still do it in, in certain, you know, a lot of uh, nonprofits and stuff will still do, uh, and, you know, civic organizations will still do it. So that doesn't seem to me to fall under that category of the spooky indoctrination that just seems to me inculcating value values that you would expect other people to want to share in this country that's what like, I, even if you think it's got some flaws i mean the pledge of allegiance should encourage you to help rectify them well better said than i could um i would love your perspective on this i would encourage the viewers and listeners to tag dr meg bryce She's running for the at-large seat in the Alamo County School Board. I think, Dr. Dr. Bryce, this is some ammunition for your campaign that someone appointed to the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee at Almoral County Public Schools is utilizing her Twitter account to basically say the Pledge of Allegiance is indoctrination, or at least allude to it in some capacity. I, I would think that's something you could use on the campaign trail, Dr. Bryce. Just a suggestion for you there. Um, when we go to church, I went to Catholic school, I was raised Southern Baptist, and I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. We went to church Sunday school, we went to church big service, Sunday school at 10, big service at 11, Sunday evening fellowship and a youth group on Sunday evening where we would eat dinner with the youth and have fun, it was so fun. Wednesday night supper mm-hmm. at the church, uh, which was also fun. Um, vacation Bible school. Uh, my mom had us volunteer in, in, in Sunday school taking care of the yeah, kids. Yeah, I've heard a lot. Of, I never went to one, but I heard that it was... So uh, fun. I always hear the story about vacation Bible school. It was so great. So here's my point. When we're in church and, and we're taking communion, and, 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 or we're staying, standing up and we're singing a song, a hymnal, mm-hmm. what we're doing is the ritualistic aspect of religion, and that ritualistic aspect creates a sense of community because mm-hmm. we're all doing it at once in unison and that sense of community reinforces our faith mm-hmm. that's why we do these ritualistic aspects in church communion listening to the preacher singing songs together community community is what it builds it's the same thing with the pledge of allegiance yeah, it's, it's a r- ritualistic aspect of being a patriotic American. Mm-hmm. 
And its purpose is to to inspire you to then recommit to the country. Right. To recommit to saying... Like your faith. Yeah. What are the things that are good about this country that I can make sure I preserve? And what are the things that I need to improve that I will work towards? Yes. So perfect. That was kind of... That's how I always... That's how I was raised and grew up and... Is it not common sense anymore? This seems like common sense. Is it not like that anymore? I, I don't know. It's it's always tough with things like Twitter and was this so was this Twitter? This is Twitter. Said? Yeah. With things that is sometimes you feel like people just say things to see if if it gets a rise out of others. Like it bring Twitter brings out the worst aspects of humanity. Undoubtedly. So it, it, Reddit's it, right yeah. there with it. Yeah. Twitter, Twitter and Reddit turn what might be otherwise decent people and bring out the worst aspects of us. So and sometimes you'll see it. You see it all the time on Twitter. Someone says something and you're like. Do you seriously believe this or you just want to like throw it out there and argue with people? So it's always so hard to know and to judge like if this is trending on Twitter, does that mean – I mean let's face it. For all we talked about Twitter, a very small portion of this country is actually oh, on it. And it's, it's declining. Like a it's a minuscule portion. And it's declining since Musk bought it. It's, it's it, dropping. Yeah. Well, and remember it was, it, it was declining for years before 2016 – when the fact, let's face it, the fact that Trump was on it probably boosted it because everyone who didn't like him and everyone who liked him was probably on it. But, and then it declined again. So really, if you taped out 2016 to 2020, Twitter is, is a sort of long-term decline. And, it, and it's, I think its representation of the country as a whole is probably minuscule. So I always sit there sometimes and say, the fact that something may be trending on Twitter or a lot of people on Twitter may think something might not actually mean that most of the country thinks it. So it could be that on Twitter, the Pledge of Allegiance is a point of major controversy, but for most, for huge swaths of the country, it's just like you and I. The difference is, do you and I go on Twitter all the time and say how much we love the Pledge of Allegiance? Not really. I mean, I'm not going to go on Twitter all the time and just like post, I love the Pledge of Allegiance 10 times a day. right? But someone who has a beef with it might go there and say it five times a day, how much they, they're annoyed by it. So it, it always comes down to sometimes the, the people with a bone to pay are the loudest, but then there's tons of other people like us that kind of just go about our daily lives and say, and we don't think to make a big deal about the Pledge of Allegiance because it's just something that we've grown up with and that we are comfortable with. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, that is why this man is on this fantastic program. Do you, you have a dentist in 30 minutes? Is that right, J-Dubs? Yeah. Okay. All right. I didn't know your dentist was today. Thank you very much. And we're up against the gun. Um, This particular person who we're talking about, interestingly, is on the committee to lead the diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts at Amar County Public Schools. Um, What's going on with today, Yimanyana? Today, Yimanyana, lots of lots of fun. We first off, it's going to be a great show because we're going to have um, um, Caroline War and Brian Demarius from Charlottesville Opera, as well as Josephine Carr and Mederio. I'm very excited to meet him, Mederio de Senario Venable. He's a mixologist at the Bebedero, but he's also going to be at 231 Fest. So he sounds like an awesome guy. I've never met him before, but I'm excited because the Bebedero has great drinks. Oh, they do. Um, and, but what we're doing is a huge giveaway in anticipation of this. So it's $700 worth of stuff. I couldn't believe I came back from That's vacation. Amazing, Nick I come back job. from Honeywood. I'm like, what do you mean you got $700 worth of Nick? Yeah, good this, job, this, Nick. You know, and so two VIP tickets to Castle Hill Cider. And before I say this stuff, super easy. You go to Instagram. You find Today Manana. You tag two friends. 
You like the post and you follow the accounts. So you don't actually have to sign up. I'm going to do it right now. Nick, don't pick me, but I'm just going to help you with engagement. Thank like, you. Like I'm helping the meme account of I Love Seville. It's called I Actually Hate Seville. We have a meme account. And <laughs> I've been engaging with their post over the last 14 hours. And my engagement alone has increased their account from 440 followers to 521. I've risen their account That's 80 hilarious. people, 24% version. just by commenting uh, on it. Today, even you I'm doing it right now. So, and it's super easy. You don't even have to subscribe and get a bunch of emails. You literally just have to tag two friends, like the post, follow the accounts. And there's a numerous posts you can like. There's ones with certain aspects. But the winner gets two VIP tickets to Castle Hills 231 Fest, two tickets to Charlottesville Opera's Guys and Dolls, and you can pick the date, June 23rd, 24th, or 25th. A $100 gift card for downtown businesses. A $50 gift card to Guajiros. Um, and a $50 gift card to Otto Turkish Seville. You get a bag of coffee and two cafes from Tiger Coffee, and I've tasted this coffee. This coffee is good. This is the real deal. A summer bouquet by Flower Girl Seville, and two free pizzas and two drinks by Popito's Pizza, which is actually, have you ever gone to Boar's Head? Oh, oh Wander, it's amazing. Popito's Winter Pizza, Wander, they're yeah. the one who's there at the Winter Wander. It's fantastic. So you get all this stuff. I came, I came back, and I'm like, what do you mean you got $700 <laughs> worth of stuff in a giveaway? Normally, it's like... 50, 100. So all this stuff. So literally go to Today Manana's Instagram page or Facebook page. Tag two friends in the comments. Like the post and follow the account. So we got some, and you follow the accounts of the great friends, like 231 Fest, friends of Seville who donated the $100 gift card, Matias Yon Realty who donated the Guajiros and Otto Seville gift cards, Tiger Coffee, Flower Girl Seville, Popotis Pizza. Amazing. Amazing. Nicholas, job well done. Today, Imanana airs Thursdays at 10.15 a.m. on the I Love Seville Network, co-hosted by the Antonio Banderas of Finance. Ladies, he's off the market. He's an all-around great guy. We're proud to call him a friend. Judah Wickhauer is literally going to be sprinting to a dentist appointment that starts in 27 minutes, and I'm late for a conference call. This is the I Love Seville show. Small business life, baby. So long, and thank you for joining us. Take care. Well done, dude. Absolutely what a great closer. Absolutely killed it. I'm literally going to fall right now. I think they're walking on the show. Oh, so they know. They know. They know why we're late.